Hi. Hi. Welcome to Shakespeare in the Village. My name is Risha, and I'm here with... Michael. My brother. That's me. Yes. Uh, so, let's go ahead and start with a warm-up. Okay. <laughs> oh, not that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> that one takes me to high school musical. <laughs> but can I pick one? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So, I like the Washington's White Woolen Underwear one. Oh, yes. Good one. So, that one goes... Who washed Washington's white woolen underwear when Washington's washerwoman, huh, went west? Mm -hmm. And the fun thing about that one, kind of like the same thing as when we did the the toodles toot, when you say huh, you go huh, you gotta Mm -hmm. feel it within your bones. Mm -hmm. So engage the diaphragm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So you wanna do it? Yeah, let's do it. Who washed Washington's white woolen underwear when Washington's washerwoman, huh, went west? Should we do it faster? Yeah, let's do okay. it. Who washed Washington's white woolen underwear when Washington's washerwoman went west? Yes, and today we're talking again about Shakespeare in the village. What Shakespeare play are we doing again? Much Ado About Nothing. Aha! Mm-hmm. And how many characters are in this version of it? Ah, this yes. adapt adaptation? Adaptation. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not the full text of Shakespeare. It's pretty common right. to trim... The, mm-hmm. the play down, most of Shakespeare's plays are, are fairly long. Much Ado About Nothing is actually on the shorter end plays anyway, oh. but we still trimmed it. So the original version has 24 characters. Oof. I've trimmed it down to 16. Okay. 16 characters all together. In, in, in the cast, so there, there are some characters that could be cast as men or women. Mm-hmm. And there's five of those characters that I've got listed that could be either or. Seven men and four women plus those five either or all together so yeah cut out eight characters some of them are are fairly common to cut out uh, from the play Leonardo's brother is one Uh, he doesn't do much (laughs) so (laughs) Leonardo is the the governor uh, of Messina he's one of the first characters you see he's the first character to have lines and it's basically his estate where where the play takes place he's the one who's hosting this party and and welcoming all the the soldiers back home and his brother is a character who's there and just doesn't really do much. So he's cut. He's gone. I think there may be one or two lines that I gave to a different character oh, that okay. uh, were Leonardo's brother's lines. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even have a name. He's just Leonardo's brother. <laughs> that uh, tells you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, uh, a lot of his lines are really non-essential, so I cut mm-hmm. those all together. Balthazar is another character uh, who shows up kind of for the ball. He's not essential either. You cut Balthazar? Balthazar. That's such a cool name. It is a cool name. I get it, but that is such a cool name. Yeah. And along the same lines as Balthazar is Senor Antonio, uh, ah. who's also just kind of there for the dance and doesn't, he's not essential. So hmm. yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't further the plot okay. at all, such as it is. So cut them. And then the other characters that were cut are the extras, sort of. The, there are a couple of watchmen. There's a, a whole mm. night watch segment. So there are two night watchmen that are listed in the in the play, and they're cut. I'll, I'll talk about a little bit more what I did with them in a, in a minute, but I cut the, the those watchmen out because they, they were superfluous. And then there are two messengers who are never on the stage at the same time, so they could be the same person, but I can't cut both of them again anyway. And in addition to them, there is a boy who also serves as a messenger. <laughs> so ah, there are effectively sure. three messengers. Like, all right. <laughs> None of them are on stage at the same time, so they could all be played by the same character. Nice. But I found a, a way to cut all of them in general. So that's where. So I'll talk about kind of what I did with all of those. I combined all the watchmen and messenger characters into one other character 
who is in the Night Watch, uh, and he is a named character, George Seacole. Along with the concept of the, the play in general, it kind of centers around that whole Night Watch idea, being that the production is going to be on the same level as the audience, like we talked about before, all on that green. And there's a lot more interaction that's going to be going on. So the actors are going to acknowledge the audience to a degree as being present in this same picnic-y party area. So at the night watch bit, George Seacole is going to be the only watchman who is present, but he is going to be interacting with the audience as though they are also mm. watchmen. Oh, um, fun. So talking to them, giving them commands uh, when when he's about to make an arrest sort of things like, call the call the leader of the watch, you know, that sort of thing. So he'll say that to the audience. Oh, go get him. I love that because so. that's the audience participation right. and like making you feel like you're a part of the party and the picnic. Right. And you're there to experience this festival exactly. within it. Yes, right. that's fun. Right. I and like it. so with that, so that's that's one section, but then you've also got these messengers who need to deliver messages at various times, but since none of them are on this stage at the same time as George C. Cole from The Watch, I just gave him this jack of all trades job. He's the gopher for everybody is is kind of how that winds up going. So he on his own, George C. Cole is a relatively small character. He's got a significant portion in that one scene for the night watch but uh, other than that he doesn't have much to do so i expanded him so he actually winds up being there in the very beginning of the play the the play begins with leonato getting a message and so c cole is there giving that message and so then he's he shows up a little bit more throughout the place a little bit bigger of a of a character then and we eliminate a lot of smaller roles yeah. there too so that's one thing uh, that was adjusted. And then besides the the other named characters being cut and some of their lines being given to others, we wind up now with these 16 characters. So I talked a little bit about Seacole there, but then we've got, and Leonardo too, mm-hmm. being this governor. So I'll talk a little bit more about the relationships of some of these characters. Nice. That's yeah. right. So Leonardo is the, the governor of Messina, uh, and he has a daughter named Hero. And she's a young woman who has uh, an infatuation. I don't want to even want to say it that strongly. She hmm. she might have a crush on this character uh, of Claudio. An interest. An interest. He, yeah. yeah, she has an interest in him. And he has an interest in her. And they're very proper about the relationship. Claudio is a soldier coming back and doesn't immediately interact with her. He wants to. He wants to reach out to her. But he comes across a little bit shy and mm. awkward. Like, he doesn't know how to go about that the appropriate way. And so he enlists the help of the prince, Don Pedro, to woo Hero for him. And they wind up with an engagement. Along with Hero, though, Leonardo is also responsible for Beatrice, uh, who I've mm-hmm. talked about before. One of the big characters in the play who's got this sharp wit. And she's very cynical. And she's one of the, the major nihilists of the All play. Right. Right? Um, she's got some good lines, she's, though. Yeah, she's got some of the best lines in, in the whole play. But she is Leonardo's niece. Uh, she is an orphan. Uh, her parents have died long before the action of the play. So she's a cousin of Hero, but they live in the same house and they interact basically as sisters. They're that close in the play. And Beatrice, uh, as I've talked about, had a prior relationship with Benedict, but that for one reason or another fell apart. And we can only assume based on how they're interacting now, it burst in flames. Um, (laughs) uh, And so they they are always at odds and jibing at each other throughout the play. So Beatrice is, in terms of social status, she might be a step lower than Hero, um, simply because she's not actually officially adopted by Leonardo. He's not her father. He's just her guardian. But she's presumably older than Hero. It seems Mm -hmm. like she's older than Hero. 
Nevertheless, Hero has a little bit more of a high status than, than Beatrice does. She has some waiting gentlewomen whose names are Margaret and Ursula. There are these two women who are there. Ursula ha- is, is the quieter of the two. She has fewer lines, but nevertheless, she still does interact. She, she has a, a good sense of humor throughout. Margaret is a little bit more fiery. I found a couple of people who described her as a, a flirt. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty fun. Uh, she, she does act more or less like a flirt. She loves to dance and interact with the gentleman. So is um, she, she a woo girl? Sure. Like a party woo girl? Yeah, a little yeah. bit. All a little right. bit of that. It, it could be easy to kind of just whitewash the two gentlewomen into a uh, homogenous, like they're just there to support Hero and yeah. uh, and such. But I like the idea of having almost a, well, because there's a wedding that's going to take place for Hero. And so Ursula and Margaret are, uh, along with Beatrice, kind of the bridesmaids. So mm-hmm. I want that sort of mm-hmm. bridesmaid dynamic sure. uh, among them that they're you know the movie bridesmaids <laughs> <you> think about <laughs> that i mean like so they've got their own distinct characters that really give some vibrancy and life into all of that and and some trouble too margaret is a little bit although not intentionally responsible for some of the drama oh, uh, no. and the conflict in, in the play but i don't want to spoil too much <laughs> yes. for this 500 year old play uh, <laughs> So that's kind of the household of Leonato there. Um, And I've touched on a couple of the other characters here. So Claudio, this younger soldier who woos Hero, and then Benedict, who is a little bit of an older soldier who has a prior relationship with Beatrice. Now, they're also connected with a a, a bond of sorts. It's not quite like squire and knight, but it's Mm -hmm. along those same lines. Benedict seems to have taken Claudio under his wing and is is leading him along. He might have been his commanding officer in some way, but Claudio is taken up as kind of his right-hand man um, that uh, that he's, he's... apprenticing more or less and and taking him in in that way and they have a, a close friendship to where claudio trusts benedict almost like a, an older brother or a father and comes to him asking for advice in, in those sorts of ways and that dynamic is furthered by the relationship of the prince don pedro who is obviously the leader of all of them but they all have this kind of almost brotherly family relationship those three where Claudio will come to Benedict for advice and he'll come even further for to Don Pedro for advice. But Don Pedro, the, the prince, is a, maybe a little bit more exalted. But the prince still comes down and, and relates with those under his charge in a very caring way. Oh. Um, he's an interesting character. He's got this professional uh, sort of demeanor to him, but he also is is very chummy. And you've got this kind of brothers-in-arms sort of dynamic and feel with the the male characters, especially there. So when they interact with Leonardo, it creates kind of another interesting tension amongst the men. They, they all get along as this fraternity of men. But when you get the prince and Claudio and Leonardo together, they pick on Benedict Aww. a little bit. Well, he's, he's, kind, he's kind of a butt. He is, yes. Benedict, <laughs> Benedict, Benedict's a butt. Um, you know, th- that sort of cynical nihilist yeah. sort of thing that that he's got going to he'll he'll pick on everybody and so they mm-hmm. they give it back to him you know it's they, they 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 jibe him again and they'll they'll pick on him and poke fun at him and and such yeah. and so that's just a fun dynamic that they've got going on is uh all those those men it's almost like a a love triangle a love quadrangle of, <laughs> of brothers a love quadrangle <laughs> of brothers yes <laughs> it's great that's good yes. <laughs> And then in the, in that midst, you throw in this this oddball of Don John, who is the prince's brother. He's an illegitimate 
brother, illegitimate oh. son. Um, he's called the bastard, and he's a bastard in both the the genetic and the moral sense. Oh, no. um, <laughs> and so uh, he, I, I've talked about before, he decides to be the villain. He right. wants to throw the wrench in. He's got some chip on his shoulder about mm-hmm. the prince, about his brother. We don't know exactly why, but he's just going to mess things up. He's just going to get people in trouble. And you wonder, to an extent, why anybody trusts him, why anybody believes anything he says, because by the beginning of the play he's already established as an untrustworthy character mm-hmm. who's been arrested and then pardoned so why why trust him when he comes with various things but that's you know part of the the plot is that just how contrived it all is and how it's much ado about nothing yeah right? so <laughs> you gotta you gotta have that so he comes in as this this villain the dark cloud over the play because you need a something to to move it along it's like the moody teenager a little bit a little bit okay. yeah but he's got his followers he's got his cadre of brothers in arms too and their names are Boraccio and Conrad. Now, Boraccio is more of the conniving sort along with Don John. He has some great ideas to, to further Don John's plot. In fact, so when Don John gets an idea, it kind of fizzles. But when Boraccio comes and says, I've got an idea, and Don John adopts it, that's the one that gets a little more traction. So um, Boraccio has a little bit more brains behind him, perhaps, than is good for him. It, it, brains might be saying a little bit too much but he also Baraccio would seem to be a little bit more of a drunk too so he's he's just in it for the fun of the trouble kind of he loves to support Don John and all of this but he's a troublemaker Conrad meanwhile might be a little more level-headed and Conrad is one of those that could be cast as a man or a woman in uh, Joss Whedon's 2012 rendition of Much Ado About Nothing Conrad was a a woman and uh, the way he cast that was Don John and Conrad were in a relationship um, oh. which is interesting. I don't think I'm going to go that route with this. We'll see how things how things pan out, but I don't think that's exactly the the tack we're going to take here. Well, I have a question about that kind yeah. of the so you said Don John has these two people that kind of mm-hmm. support him and Hero has two people that support her. Right. Are there like parallels between those two people, like the the two groups, I guess? A little bit. Cuz li- you said like Margaret and Right. Like um, which one was Ursula? It? No, the the oh. guy that's the, the oh Baraccio. Baraccio. So mm-hmm. like, are they kind of like mm-hmm. the party support people? I guess in a way, sort of. So Margaret and Baraccio themselves also have a, a relationship. <gasps> um, <Ooh>. So <laughs> just to complicate things a little further. <laughs> And, it, you know, it, it's not clear in the play. It could be a casual sort of thing. It mm-hmm. could be something that's more long-lasting. But, yeah, they have a relationship of some kind in their Margaret and Baraccio. And they are kind of peas in a pod in yeah. that way. Maybe morally different uh, on other sides of it. But they have this united characteristic of being that sort of party have mm-hmm. fun sorts of people is kind of how they are. Whereas Ursula and Conrad are more the level-headed types all right, all right. <laughs> on either side. So there there are parallels yeah. uh, along that way. And I, I've, I've heard, too, some analysis that Don John himself is infatuated with Hero. I don't think it's textually supported at all. You could play it that way, but I think that's pressing the issue too far. I, I really think you do Don John an injustice by making his motives stronger than just he wants to cause trouble. <laughs> That's that's all he is. He just wants to cause that trouble. That's his character. Finding the motives there, you know, what's what's my character's motivation here? You know, he just wants to cause trouble. That's who Don John is. He's he's decided to be a villain. He's decided that's who he is. And so that's that's it. Don't don't look too far into it. I think. <laughs> 
couple other characters that'll come up here. Uh, George Seacole, uh, also, I mentioned before, he's also one that could be cast as female as well. There's nothing really in the text that says he has to be a man. So that's one that's that's an option as man or woman. But connected with him, that you've got the Night Watch in general. Now, I said he's the only Night Watch man. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's also the the constable who's ca- the the leader of the watch, and that's his name is Dogberry, which is just one of Shakespeare's best names <laughs> of all the characters. Um, uh, Dogberry is kind of your classic buffoon, and I could uh. Uh, I, I I think Dogberry is another one that you could cast as female either way. But Dogberry is the leader of the watch and gives the charge to the watch for keeping Messina safe, keeping the streets safe, and he gives them the charge. You know what do you, if you do? What do you do if you find a thief? What do you do if you find a drunkard? What do you do if the babies are crying? too loud you know wow (laughs) straight to jail yes but the joke of dogberry ultimately boils down to malapropisms he says the wrong words all the time and some of them are very funny so for for modern audiences you might not catch all of them like they would in shakespeare's day just because they're not as common words but if you just go into it knowing that he's just gonna say the wrong thing all the time you'll get the gist of what he means Mm -hmm. but he'll say the wrong words well i was gonna say how do you i guess play that then to an audience who already isn't going to understand all the words because Mm -hmm. it's shakespeare right is it the reaction of the characters around him that's gonna be part of it that's going to be part of it. And also, I'm a firm believer in the fact that if the actors believe what they're saying, the audience will get what they need out of it. Yeah. So if if the actor speaks with enough confidence uh, about their lines and, and speaks as naturally as possible, the audience isn't going to have a problem mm-hmm. getting through it. That's where I kind of stand on that. Yeah. We'll, we'll work with the actors to communicate. So that's something, too, that's a side question about understanding the play. We talked about how if you're coming to audition, you don't have to have any experience uh, with Shakespeare. If you're coming to watch, you don't have to have any experience with Shakespeare either. Sometimes it can be intimidating to to come to Shakespeare because it it sounds so different from how we talk. But really, it doesn't. (laughs) If if it's performed well, and, and I have full confidence that anybody can learn to perform Shakespeare well, you can understand it. You'll get it just by virtue of it being performed. You'll get to watch what's going on. The action is going to perform all that pretty well. And to that, too, Shakespeare, sometime after his death, gained this status as the elevated theater, right. very proper, and only the, the most eloquent sorts went and watched Shakespeare. And, <laughs> um, but that's that's not who Shakespeare is. Shakespeare is theater for the common man. Shakespeare right. is theater for everybody. And that's it, it remains true that he's mm-hmm. theater for everybody. So that, again, the level playing field, we're all here in it together to watch this Shakespeare. So... Don't be intimidated by yeah. Shakespeare. Come and enjoy it. It's going to be kick butt funny, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's it's going to be great. So that's related to to Dogberry and his malapropisms and and all the the weird things he's going to be saying. So that's it, I mean you can know that going into it, but you'll notice it too because there are enough things that he'll say just are bonkers. Um, <laughs> Uh, but he has a, a right-hand man as well, a, a partner named Verges, who also could be cast as female. I think uh, all these could be men or women. But Verges, again, to kind of get that dynamic of the wild one and the more level-headed one, 
Virgis is a little more level-headed of Dogberry's. He brings Dogberry down. Dogberry is kind of proud and full of himself and pompous and with no real foundation for any of that. And Virgis comes back down and will correct him occasionally. Dogberry at one point will say, if you come upon the prince, you can arrest him. And Virgis, uh, no, no, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) So that sort of thing. Um, Actually. (laughs) Yes, yes. Virgis is Dogberry's actually man. That's the, the fun dynamic that they've got going on. And so there's that one big night watch scene, but then they kind of come in and lay some of the correction for the end of the play too. And they're helpful in that way. And that's in relation to another character who's just called the Sexton, who is more or less the, the person in charge of just examining the people who are arrested by the watch, kind of a, a sub judge so to speak. So the sexton, again, could be man or woman, is just there to interview the the people who are arrested and set a few things straight uh, as things go along. There's not a lot of character to the sexton, but in the text, I mean, there's not a lot of character, which leaves, I think, a lot of room to play with the sexton. Uh, You could have him be the sort who could go in a couple of different ways, like with his relationship with Dogberry. He could be just totally done with Dogberry, (laughs) totally exasperated with him. Or he could be absolutely enthusiastic about Dogberry and like, yes, we're on the same side. And either one of those I think could work in this. So that's something that I'm looking for. And that's something too with all these characters. Like I have pictures of them in my mind as a director. Of course. But I'm really excited to see what different actors will bring and to let them really fill out those characters and Mm -hmm. make them their own. So that's something I'm excited to see. Then there's one more character and that's Friar Francis. And Friar Francis, he is just the priest pastor type who's there really to perform the wedding. That's, That's when he shows up but then he is very similar to the friar in Romeo and Juliet uh, which is slightly more familiar play of Shakespeare's but the friar there in the play of Romeo and Juliet is the one who comes up with the scheme to get Romeo and Juliet together against their family's wishes and so he marries them in secret and then has Juliet fake being dead right. uh, in order to, to get her out of another marriage so that she can be with Romeo and stuff. But that all goes haywire and wrong. Now, this friar has a very similar plot. <laughs> he has a very similar idea to that. The friars and Shakespeare having people play dead. I don't know. Um, but uh, it's it, so that he, he comes up with that, too. Uh, and he's quiet for a lot of it until... He finds the opportune moment to speak, and then he he speaks and and has uh, a good force um, moving the plot itself along to that point. And so he's another interesting character that could have a lot of fun. What friar in Shakespeare's life pulled the wool over his (laughs) eyes to make him create these friars? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Oh, they're they're fun. They're fun characters. But yeah, so that's that's the characters. We've got sixteen characters in this play like i said seven men four women and then five that could be either or so come to auditions Mm -hmm. on april 24th and 25th at 7 p.m at the marion ross performing arts center if you're interested Mm -hmm. yeah please please do and then uh, the actual shows themselves will be august 20th uh, matinee Mm -hmm. and then 24th 25th and 26th and this is of 2023 yes yes so it's exciting Obscurantism and Obfuscation. 
orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our fancy to yours.